1: Four. From the Finley Chevrolet Box Sports Las Vegas studios and live at LBSportsNetwork.com
0: with your hosts, Darren Millar and Ryan Wallace.
1: Hour number two, Ryan Wallace, Chris Chapman, VGK Insider Show rolling along here on a Tuesday. We're going to do it, Chapman. It's The time is nigh to have the conversation about the Hockey Hall of Fame. The time is nigh to have the conversation about whether or not this class of inductees makes sense. And then we open it up to the discussion, frankly, about Alexander and, and And to me, like... You know, I, I know. Yesterday, we we touched on this briefly. Uh, we heard from the voice of the Henderson Silver Knights, uh, Brian McCormick, uh, via text to Chris Chapman, that you know Pierre Turgeon is is certainly a name that belongs there, and and I I'm not going to deny that whatsoever. Like Turgeon for sure, but to me, I can't understand any legitimate argument for Alexander McGillney to not be. In the Hockey Hall of Fame. And we are now in year 13 of eligibility. And yet he's still not in. And when you, when you put Mogilney. When you take his numbers. And, and granted. I know that there are more important aspects of what goes into a Hall of Fame player. Than numbers. I get it. I do. But to me. The Hall of Very Good. Isn't what we should be striving for with the Hall of Fame. And, and when you take the numbers that, that you have from Mogilny and you kind of put them alongside the likes of Henrik Sedin, Daniel Alfredson, Daniel Sedin, Martin Saint-Louis, it, it, it becomes really strange that Alex Mogilny's not in, and then you factor in, all the other things that happened throughout Mogilny's career that are important, that were massive for the NHL and for hockey in general. And I get it. It's not the NHL Hall of Fame. I I understand that distinction. But we're also talking about a player that won an Olympic gold medal. So I don't get it. But let's walk through the inductees, Chris Chapman, uh, from the NHL perspective. And and I want to get your take on them. So, number one, Daniel Alfredson. Do you have any issue with Daniel Alfredson as a Hockey Hall of Famer?
0: No. I mean, look, when when I won't try to discount him belonging in based on the fact that someone mm-hmm. else got snubbed. I think Alfredson yep. is one of those guys that, that for a couple of years now when we've done this show, and this has been the day after... Alfredson's name has consistently come up as a guy who belongs in. You know, I mean, aside from the fact that that he was arguably the most important player in Ottawa Senator, and, and I I'm not talking about the Ottawa Senators like from the early stages of the NHL. I'm talking about the the reborn Ottawa Senators from the mid 90s. I think he's arguably the most important player in the history of that franchise. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, he he was the captain when they went to the Stanley Cup final. He won a Calder Trophy. Uh, He won a King Clancy Award. He was an all-star. Almost 450 goals. He's got 444 goals, 1,157 total points. I mean, there's not really a conceivable argument that one... Here's the other thing. Outside of one season in Detroit where he played 68 games, he spent his entire career 18 years he played in the NHL 17 of those years were with the Ottawa Senators yeah I mean that's that's loyalty in the age of free agency and the age of star players being traded I mean he he suffered for some some really really bad Ottawa Senator teams Um, he never mm-hmm. had the, the season like McGillney where he had 76 goals um, he had a lot of twenty-five, thirty-goal seasons, which is still pretty good. He did have consistent. Yeah, he did have two forty-goal seasons, so I, I, I think that's that's not something that should be discounted. But in terms of like that one big season, he only had one season where he had over a hundred points. Most of them were between seventy and and eighty points for for his career. So I think you could maybe make the case that he's a compiler. I I, I just don't think so. I mean, when you play that long. It's You're not mm-hmm. compiling. You're, you're you're still capable of playing in the NHL. So I think, I mean, even his last season, he scored 18 goals in the league. So, um, you know, he was still certainly a capable player 18 seasons into his career. I have no problem with with Daniel Alfredson being in. Uh, I think he belongs in. I think he probably belonged in a couple of years ago. But I'm happy for him. I'm glad he got in. I think he won a gold medal, too. Um, I, I mm-hmm. hockey reference doesn't tell me that, but I believe he was on a gold medal winning uh, Swedish team. So I'm fine with him being in, and I know you know gold medal that they don't really factor in, but
1: it's an, it's an well, important it it, it's, it's an important achievement.
0: Yeah, I mean it's not it's not just the NHL. It's, it's hall not of just fame. the
1: NHL. Yeah, yeah. Not so just the NHL. So the hockey hall of fame.
0: I'm I, I'm fine with that because he was a really good player for his national team too. So. Uh, I yeah, there's no issue with me um, putting Alfredson in.
1: So when Paul Correa was inducted to the Hall of Fame, I made the statement that if you're going to open it up and Paul Correa is going to be a Hall of Fame inductee, then eventually Daniel Alfredson has to go in. I I don't look at their careers in – too much of a different light I, I you know Paul Correa had a 50 goal season like that's great awesome he he was certainly at the height of his power a phenomenal goal scorer he was able to to find some consistency early on but then you know as he got older and and as injuries started to pile up it, it took away a lot of that production but you know, the fact of the matter is you're looking at a player that was a point of game guy throughout a 15-year career never won a Stanley Cup isn't a winner of of a major major award. Like he won two Lady Bings, but like not a Hart Trophy guy, not a, a Rocket Richard guy, not uh, not an Art Ross guy. Like never really had that big name um, individual award, right? And, and I think that there's a degree, and, and I've talked about this a couple of times too. And it's gonna it's gonna be one of the things that I think a lot of people are going to point to with Mogilney, But we'll get there. Um, you have to be among the very best at what you do. In my version of the Hall of Fame, you have to be arguably a top 10 to 15, 20 player at your position in the league for the majority of your career, right? Like you look at Sidney Crosby, that's a no-doubter Hall of Famer all day long. You look at Alex Ovechkin, no-doubter Hall of Famer. You look at guys that have been consistently at the height of their individual position within the league. Those are the guys that I think need to be in the Hall of, Hall of Fame, should be in the Hall of Fame above everyone else. But if you're going to kind of have these parameters where you aren't necessarily taking the top 10 or 15, you're opening it up to top 30, top 40, top 50 over the course of the career trajectory, then yeah, I, I don't have any issue whatsoever with Daniel Alfredson. Um, I don't even have an issue with Daniel or Henrik Sedin. And, like, I, I think that I think that it's interesting, because I'm going to ask you this question, Chapman, and you tell me, and I want you to try to be honest with me here. If Daniel Sedin and Henrik Sedin were player A and player B, they were not related, but they had the careers that they had. If they were not brothers, not twins, playing on the same team together their entire career, do they get inducted into the Hall of Fame first ballot?
0: Probably not. Um I, I, I think when you look at Daniel's numbers, I think they're there despite the fact that I think Henrik has more points, not by much, but he does have more points. I I think maybe he he, he, he might be a Hall of Famer on his own merit. I mean a thousand points mm-hmm. uh almost four hundred goals. Uh he he, he never won. Uh, the and he well he won the Art Ross so so obviously that that's important but like I look at Henrik's numbers and I I may I I kind of look at it this way when you look at his career numbers you know what I see
1: mm-hmm.
0: I see Jonathan Huberdeau a guy who doesn't have a lot of goals but look at how many assists he has he's got eight hundred and thirty yeah. assists so. Over three-quarters of his career points are assists. He has 1,070 career points, and of, of all those points, only 240 of them are goals. I mean, I say only 240, mm-hmm. but, I mean, that's—it's it's impressive that he's got 1,000 points, but I don't know if, if a guy gets in with 240 goals being a, a top-line center— <laughs> As as a first ballot <laughs> Hall of Famer, like it's it's just kind of the way the way it, it's tough, right? Because it, it seems like they're always a package deal. But mm-hmm. I mean, he he played thirteen hundred and thirty games. By comparison, Jonathan Marchessault has played four hundred eighty games. He's only eighty goals behind him. So uh, I and I know goals isn't the only metric that we use, but I think it's the important metric that we should use because I think a lot of times guys are judged by the amount of goals that they score in the league. And 240 goals for a guy who played 1,300 games, I don't know if that's first ballot Hall of Fame material. And, and I, I know there's probably people out there who, who might be listening going, Chapman, you're absolutely out of your mind. I think if, if his brother's not there to kind of help him get in, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think he's a first-ballot guy. Daniel, I think, has a better case to be a first-ballot sure. guy, but I don't quite yeah. know if Henrik has the case to be a first-ballot hole. Not, not when there's guys, and, and, and like I said, I wouldn't do with Alfred Alfredson. I'm going to do the opposite. Not when there's mm-hmm. a guy like Pierre Turgeon, and I'll use him as the example. Less games, 1,294. Compared to, to Henrik, he's got almost three hundred more points. He's got almost three hundred yeah. more goals.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He's only eighteen assists behind. I mean, that's yeah. that's ridiculous. When when you compare yeah. it to guys who aren't in the Hall of Fame, I think it's a little it's a little much. But you know, by virtue of being a twin and and it's a cool story, and you know, they were fan favorites for a long, long time. I mean, he won a heart
1: trophy. Oh, nine. 10. Okay. Let's talk about that heart trophy. Let's talk about that heart trophy for a minute. Uh, because Henrik Sedin did win a heart trophy. And, and that is a major award. It is the most, it's the biggest award as an individual that you can win in the National Hockey League. He won it in 2009, 2010 with 29 goals, 83 assists, 112 points in 82 games. The runners-up to the Hart Trophy were Sidney Crosby and Alexander Ovechkin, both of which, both players had over 50 goals, and both players were just three points back of Henrik Sedin that season. To me, I think you would look at that and you would say, okay, was this a situation where you kind of got fancy with your Hart Trophy pick? Like, we just went through it. With the nhl awards last year like there was a a vote for alex nadelkovich and there was a vote and we're not going to rehash all of this uh but it, i i would go back and i would say that that was probably a heart trophy that went to the wrong person and and listen if you're going to look at kind of how things have changed over the course of voting for the heart trophy from then to now most points in a season doesn't guarantee you a Hart Trophy anymore. You have to do something a little bit more. The fact that Henrik Sedin won a Hart Trophy without hitting 30 goals, when you had two guys that put up over 50, that's kind of ridiculous.
0: Yeah, and the crazy thing is that's, that was his best season in the league. I mean, he never, he never yeah. approached. He, he had one season where he had 94 points the following year but that's it that's as close as he that, that that was his best season and after that there's a lot of 50 point seasons he's had a 42 point season a 76 point season like those are good numbers but they're not mind blowing they're they're not like oh my god this guy's i mean he had a season where where he scored 11 goals in 70 games like I I understand the 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 Hart Trophy and and I, I'm going to agree with you. The fact that Alexander Ovechkin had 50 goals that year
1: mm-hmm.
0: and finished second. He had 51. Yeah, and, and he didn't finish that far behind him. It was only 60 points. No. So I I I think you can make the argument that that was kind of a fluke, a fluke season mm-hmm. for for yeah. him. Um, you know, Ryan, it, it, it's tough because I I think. The game appreciates these two guys, and I, I think the game, sure. you know. But I don't think you put guys in the Hall of Fame based on being good guys, right? Like, if that's the case, there'd be a lot more players in the Hall of Fame because there's a lot of good guys who play this game. Guy had a really good career. Is he a Hall of Famer? Mm-hmm. Probably. Is he a first ballot, no doubt, Hall of Famer? Yep. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's hard for me to make the case that he's a no doubt hall, first ballot Hall of Famer.
1: To me, the answer is no. Like, both Daniel and Henrik, in my estimation, in my opinion, not first ballot Hall of Famers. Like, listen, I get the, the aspect of, you know, how they played within the zone, how... You know, you watch those two guys on the ice with Alex Burrows. Like, there was just a magic synergy between those guys down low in the zone. The way that they were able to move the puck. The way that they were able to play. Like, I'm not trying to discount any of that. And I'm not even saying that Henrik Sedin and Daniel Sedin are not Hall of Famers. I think that they are. Given the parameters that have been set over the last couple of seasons with Hall of Fame inductees, I absolutely believe... Based on that, that Henrik Sedin, Daniel Sedin, that they're Hall of Famers. They're not first ballot Hall of Famers. To me, if you're going first ballot, right? If you're going first ballot, you have to be among the very best at what you did throughout the majority of your career. And as good as Henrik and Daniel Sedin were, by virtue of just one heart trophy... I don't think that they were among the very best. And that's where the argument changes between Henrik Sedin, Daniel Sedin, Daniel Alfredson, and say an Alexander Mogilny, right? Because if you're trying to hold Mogilny to the same standards that you would a first ballot Hall of Famer, you can't do that. And by virtue of the fact that Mogilny has better stats, a better career top to bottom than two guys that went first ballot that had no business doing it, it makes the fact that Mogilny is not in the Hall that much more laughable. Okay, that much more laughable. You mentioned, Chapman, Henry Dean's career totals with goals. It's 240. 240 goals in 1,330 games played. I'm not saying goals are the be-all, end-all. I'm not. I'm not saying points are the be-all, end-all. I'm I'm not. But when you've got a guy in Alexander Mogilny who scored 76 goals... In one season, not just 76 goals in one season, 76 goals in 77 games played. Like, we've marveled, right, Chapman, at Austin Matthews scoring 50 goals in 50 consecutive games this season. Alex Mogilny in 92-93 did it all year long. 76 goals in 77 games. The unfortunate thing for Mogilny is that he wasn't a rookie, And he tied Timu Solani that year, who was. No one remembers it. No one gives him credit for it because Timu did it as a rookie and he did it the same year. 127 points that year. That obliterates the best seasons of Henrik Sedin. It obliterates the best seasons of Daniel Sedin. And frankly, it obliterates the best seasons of Daniel Alfredson. I think the most. You know, I heard. Go ahead. The most
0: telling aspect here when it comes to McGillney is the amount of points compared to the amount of games played. 1,032 sure. points in 990 games. I mean, he's more than a point-a-game guy, and it's not even close. Mm-hmm. Then you look at Daniel so, Sedin with 1,041 mm-hmm. points in 1,306 games. He played 400, 350 more games then Mogilny and finished with eight more points in his career. Imagine if Mogilny plays 1,300 games because Mogilny played in Russia, right? I mean, he, he he came over from the Soviet Union when he was still a relatively young player. But, I mean, how many seasons did he lose by playing in Russia?
1: Well, I mean, listen, the the fact of the matter is with with. Mogilny, and this is what I, I found to be most interesting. We talked about a 76 goals season. We talked about 204 goals in the career of Henrik Sedin. That one year from Mogilny accounts for 31% of Henrik Sedin's career output goals wise. Alexander Mogilny has a better goals per game rate than the following players. The following Hall of Fame players. A better goals per game rate than Joe Sackick, Steve Iserman, and Timu Solani. He scored more total goals than Hall of Famers Pat LaFontaine, Peter Stastny, and Pavel Bure. Like, the fact of the matter is, in every conceivable metric, you want to go goals per game? You want to go total goals, you want to go points per game, total points. In every conceivable metric, if you want to say you have to have a Stanley Cup, he's got one of those. If you want to say you had to have been an all-star, he's got two of those. If you want to say that ha- that in a major award, individual award, has to be won, he's got a Lady Bing. It, it, every conceivable metric that you have for the Hall of Fame, Alexander Mulgilney checks those boxes off in spades on top of the fact that he was the first Russian-born player to defect and play in the National Hockey League. What that did for generations of players to be introduced and come into this game from Russia, like to me, that's the biggest aspect of Mogilny's case. And on that alone, he should be inducted to the Hall of Fame. But the fact of the matter is, beyond that, you take the, the defection out of it, you take what what his trailblazing did for the sport out of it, On points alone, career alone, he belongs. First Russian-born player to captain a team in the National Hockey League. Like, I I just, I don't get it. There's no logical argument. And when you are inducting players whose careers, frankly, do not hold a candle to Alex Mogilny's, I just don't understand what you're doing. Well, we
0: could go a step further here with Mogilny. Won a gold medal in the Calgary Olympics, 1988. Mm-hmm. By the way, played three yeah. years professionally in, in, for CSKA Moscow. So uh, three years he was over there. He started playing as a 17-year-old and put up 15 goals in uh, 28 games, playing as a 17-year-old in, in the KHL. But there was a world championship, the 1989 world championships. He was, he was the uh, captain of the team. And he had nine goals in seven games in the 1988 uh, World Championship. So uh, just, just a guy who even internationally got the job done. Like you mentioned, it's the Hockey Hall of Fame. It's not just the NHL Hall of Fame. This is a guy who had a really successful career on the international level as well. Multiple medals, three gold medals, World Junior Championship. He won a gold, won a gold at the World Championship, and won a gold medal in the Olympics. I mean, he hit the trifecta. And the international competitions you, you, you can't win any other medals and there, there's no other competitions to win the gold medal in he won it in all three of those so it, it's it's highly frustrating for me it's it's I take it personally because he he was a member of the New Jersey Devils on one of their Stanley Cup winning teams so for me I I, I, I take it personally that he's not in I know your connection to the city of Buffalo so uh the the fact that I mean throw Here's the other thing. Buffalo Saber fans haven't had a whole lot to cheer for the last what mm-hmm. 10, 12 years. Throw them a bone. Give them something to, to get behind and be happy about. I mean, this guy was a phenomenal player. I mean, I can remember when he came over and, and watching him as a kid and just being like, When when I was I, I can remember as a kid, I would play Sega Genesis, NHL hockey. That's how old I am that Sega Genesis was what I was playing in my house. And I wanted to play with Buffalo because I wanted to play with him. I wanted to have him on my team. And this was in the day before you could trade guys and and make custom rosters. Like, the roster was the roster. And there were like 25 teams because there were some teams that hadn't even been born yet. But Buffalo was one of those teams that you wanted to play with because you wanted to play with McGillney. Because he was dynamic. He was a star. He was so good. He was so fun to watch. It, it's frustrating that we go through this every single year.
1: You think he ever gets in?
0: I think eventually he will. I, I can't believe that. Is this that... Is, am, am I correct? This is the 13th time that he's been passed over? Mm-hmm. How yep. is that possible? How is it possible I- that a guy who scored nearly 500 goals in... A thousand games I mean that's nearly a goal almost every other game that this guy's scoring
1: mm-hmm. it, it, it's 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 insulting to have a Hall of Fame caliber player passed up every year for Hall of very good players like that that's the last thing that I'm gonna say on it because I, I do want to get to a bit of uh, news here for the Vegas Golden Knights but it, it is it is laughable at times that there is a legitimate Hall of Fame player in Alexander Mogilny, and you can extend that to Pierre Turgeon. There are others that are, I would argue, more deserving that should be in over the players that have been in. It is ridiculous that there are Hall of Fame caliber players being passed up for Hall of Very Good Players. And, and that, to me, is the, the biggest disappointment in the Hall of Fame. And, and, and I know my standards are very, very different, vastly different than where the voting has gone recently like if i had my druthers you wouldn't have multiple inductees every single year for the hall of fame because i think that that is reserved for a very very select few players that have played this game um but the fact of the matter is it's it's disingenuous on the surface that you have a player the likes of alexander Mulgilney what he did not only on the ice but the things that were bigger than hockey, and still, he's not in. And there are players that were Hall of, very good, Hall of pretty good, Hall of eh, that are in. That that blows me away. But let's move on from the Hall of Fame because I, I just I don't want to continue to go down this rabbit hole. I think we've said all we need to say on it. Uh, the Golden Knights have hired. John Stevens as an assistant coach and Sean Burke as director of goaltending. Mike Rosati has been named the manager of the goaltending development and scouting department. That is a a tweet sent out by the Vegas Golden Knights just a few minutes ago. So uh, the first pieces starting to come into play for the Vegas Golden Knights, Bruce Cassidy and his coaching staff. So John Stevens... Named as assistant coach, Sean Burke, director of goaltending and, and, uh, and the NHL goaltending coach and Mike Rosati has been named the manager of goaltending development and scouting, um, Kelly McCrimmon said that John Stevens is a very respected NHL coach with an extensive resume that adds considerably to our staff. He went on to continue to stay, quote, say, quote, we are excited to add a two-time Stanley Cup winner with head coaching experience. Your thoughts, Chapman?
0: Well, I mean, I'll, I'll start with Sean Burke at, at, at the goalie position because, or goalie coach now because uh, he's a guy who who – and, I mean, this is some, one of the things you're, you're kind of only privy to when, when you're in the press box, but he was a scout with, I believe, the Montreal Canadiens, um, and he was always at T-Mobile Arena watching the Golden Knight games. So I think he probably saw a lot over the last couple seasons watching the Golden Knights. Um, you know, obviously a guy who, who I remember as a kid because he was he was the backup goalie. On probably the first good Devils team uh, that lost in the in the Eastern Conference Final, the Boston Bruins uh, in a, in a seven game series, they were one one win away from going to the Stanley Cup for the first time in team history. So I remember him from that. Uh, wasn't with the Devils very long. Went to Hartford, I think, after that. But um, you know, I I I think uh, he's a guy who who knows the game really well. I, I I know from things I've heard, he's very very well respected in in the community. So that's that's pretty cool. Um, you know, I'll be honest. I don't, I don't know a ton about John Stevens. Um, so, um, I, I, I know he's well-respected, uh, and, and it's, should be an interesting hire or good hire to the staff and Mike Rosati. I think he's a guy again, we we've gotten to know or have seen around, uh, the last couple seasons and now he's, it sounds like it's a promotion for him. So, uh, so, so, you know, I, I think it works out for everybody.
1: Yeah, John Stevens is interesting in that, you know, you're talking about a coach that has been a a head coach at the professional level, at the NHL level, uh, a couple of times. He was with and around the the Los Angeles Kings when they won their two Stanley Cups, so that's important. That's good uh, for the Vegas Golden Knights, just, you know, in terms of of being an assistant coach. So, like, I, I look at it, and, you know, to me, I... I think that anytime you have coaches on your staff that have been through the rigors of winning a Stanley cup, that's going to be important. It's going to be a massive uptick for your organization. And so, you know, John Stevens having been an assistant coach having been somebody that, that's been through and gotten to the top of the mountain before I think that there's a considerable amount of experience that you can lean on in those situations and you know when you're looking at some of the some of those Kings teams especially that 2011-2012 team uh, they were dominant in the playoffs they went through and had the same record as Colorado and we're talking about Colorado as having one of the most dominant postseasons this year the Kings went 16-4 and they had three games to nine leads in all all four of their series. Um, they were never in an elimination game against. That is impressive to say the least. So you've got a lot of that built-in experience with john stevens I, i'm really interested and curious to see how that all plays out but those are the the newest additions to the golden knights coaching staff you've got head coach bruce cassidy again john stevens being named assistant coach sean burke director of goaltending and nhl goaltending coach and then mike Rosati uh being named the manager of goaltending development and scouting we're back with one-timers next on the vgk insider show right here on fox sports las vegas <laughs> Maybe a two-on-one. Petrangelo gets it. He shoots. He scores. It's time for one-timers. One-timers. Short-handed goal. Alex Petrangelo.
0: Quick looks at some of the biggest stories of the day on the VGK Insider Show.
1: One-timers brought to you by Paul Powell. More lawyers, less fee. News and notes from around the NHL. I'll tell you this. The Tampa Bay Lightning were banged up. They were banged up, and boy, Pat Maroon was right. When you saw the injury report from the Tampa Bay Lightning, it was going to be eye-opening. It was going to be something that made you question how in the world did the Tampa Bay Lightning even get themselves to the Stanley Cup Final. There's going to be, over the course of this week, a moment where I'm going to provide... An unfiltered take on the Tampa Bay Lightning. This is not that day. We're going to get into the injury report. Because it's 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 many. Pierre-Edouard Belmar. Meniscus injury prior to the playoffs starting. Anthony Sorelli. This one's rough, man. Anthony Sorelli. Shoulder joint sprain in the Eastern Conference Final. Then he dislocated his other shoulder in the Stanley Cup Final. What did Anthony Sorelli do to bring on that bad luck? That's ridiculous. Just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Nikita Kucherov, MCL sprain in the Stanley Cup final. Nick Paul, a shoulder joint separate uh, sep, uh sprain in the Eastern Conference final and an MCL sprain in the Stanley Cup final. Corey Perry, a shoulder joint sprain. A lot of shoulder joint sprains. Like what are they what are these guys doing? Yeah, I don't know what that what, is. What are, what are they? Even, what are they banging their shoulders up for? I didn't even know shoulder was a joint. Like oh, I think of knees you, you and elbows. Know, you didn't know that the shoulder was a joint?
0: No, I listen. It's it's been like thirty years since I've had health health class. Oh, so boy. like I, I'm I'm trying to remember like human anatomy, and I don't remember the shoulder. Like I've never heard of someone injuring their shoulder joint.
1: <laughs> okay, uh, well three. Three Tampa Bay Lightning injured their shoulder joints. Would have been better for um, me
0: to just keep the mic off on that one.
1: <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, yeah, Corey Perry, shoulder sprain in the in the Eastern Conference Final against the New York Rangers. Ryan McDonough. This is like the greatest injury report I've ever seen. Um, r- <laughs> amazing. Uh, Ryan McDonough, mangled finger... In the Eastern Conference Final, after blocking a shot, mangled finger. There's no like update on whether or not it was broken. You're left to fill in the blanks of what you think Ryan McDonough's finger looked like. Chris Chapman, what does mangled finger mean to yeah, you?
0: Yeah, I I just picture it being like going in multiple directions. Sure. Um, I it's not a it's not an injury that I, I think I would want to deal with. Like I. Your digits are kinda of sensitive. And like yeah. you, you use them for pretty much everything, right? Like driving, whether you're, you're you're I mean, I can't even imagine holding a stick with a mangled sure. finger. Like I'm tempted yeah. to Google it and see what comes up, but I'm almost afraid yeah, you do that. Of, of what I'm gonna see when I when Did I you click squeamish? On it. a little bit, yeah. Like like I my wife yeah, does wouldn't recommend she it. she donates like plasma and blood and I just get like, Ugh, like no way, like the, the yep. whole idea of, of a needle. So like, yeah, I I'm a little squeamish when it comes to stuff like that, but I'm going to I'm going to take the plunge, Ryan. I'm going to I'm going to Google mangled finger and see exactly what shows up because I'm I'm almost terrified to see what a mangled finger looks like.
1: Oh, I can't wait. I oh, can't wait.
0: Oh, uh, no. Oh. We'll,
1: we'll get to some of the other injuries. There's two more injuries to get to. Brandon Hagel had a fractured foot pretty straightforward we understand what that is and then here's the big one because Chapman as you mentioned not having Braden Point was perhaps the biggest nail in the coffin of the Tampa Bay Lightning in their hopes to 3 Pete and win their third consecutive Stanley Cup Braden Point had a significant quad tear that he suffered in the first round against the Toronto Maple Leafs what's what's even more impressive to me is that Braden Point played a couple of games in the final with a quad tear. Like, I don't even understand how that's possible. He said that it it really impacted his power. Go figure, when your muscle is torn, you don't have the same power you're used to skating with. Uh, That's the laundry list of injuries sustained by the Tampa Bay Lightning in the third and fourth rounds of the playoffs. So in knowing all of this, in understanding how banged up they were, this change anything for you
0: no no because I'm sure Colorado had a list of injuries just like that so no no it doesn't at, the, at this point of the season every team is dealing with something like that um, mm-hmm. it's unfortunate that maybe some key pieces for the lightning were, were banged up but after witnessing what I saw this season with the team that plays in this city and dealing with the injuries that they dealt with. I'm not even going to include Jack Eichel, but just the significant injuries to Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, Robin Leonard, etc. Alec Martinez. Yeah. I, 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 It it changes nothing. I'm I'm sorry. Until I see a team deal with what the Golden Knights dealt with, with the amount of important players miss the amount of time that these guys did. No. And like I said, I'm sure Colorado was dealing with injuries. I'm sure the Rangers were dealing with injuries. I'm sure everybody that they played was dealing with mm-hmm. significant injuries at this point because you don't, it, it. you just don't get through an 82-game season without guys being banged up. It's a physical game, and, and you know, it, it is what it is, and it doesn't change anything for me.
1: It doesn't change anything for me. I, I do want to caution people, though, from viewing the injuries as another form of excuse-making. And that's why, like, we're going to get there with Tampa, right? Like, I, I have some... Opinions on the tampa bay lightning and how they conducted themselves on the ice over the course of the stanley cup final um but releasing the injury update is not one of those situations where i look at it as trying to garner sympathy or trying to use that as an excuse in the same way that i don't view it as an excuse for the golden knights i view it as a reason Like, I think that there's a legitimate reason why the Tampa Bay Lightning lacked the usual punch that they have and were unable to get to the the tough areas of the ice. Half of them were injured. That is a reason. It is a reason why they performed poorly. It's not a reason to not give credit to the team that beat you. But it is a reason, and I think there's, there needs to be more transparency in the National Hockey League when it comes to injuries anyway. So if you're going to label a team as excuse-making, sore losers because they're giving us that transparency, that's the wrong to have. It's the wrong take to have. I know Bobby brought up in arms about it on Twitter today as well. It's not excuse-making by Tampa. It's providing some context as to what these players were playing through, and maybe it softens some of the complaining and the the untoward stuff that Tampa was, was displaying outwardly on the ice to the referees uh, over the course of the Stanley Cup final. Well, that's it. Uh, anything else to add? I, I,
0: I, I wasn't sure if you were waiting for me to, to, to comment on that. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it, it. Like I said, I. It's not an excuse. I, I'm with you on that. There are reasons, but I don't. I don't think it's an excuse. And and it does sound like Tampa might be making. It, it maybe. I, I'm, a, I'm a believer that you don't put things out there without intent, and I think when you when you factor this in with some every of team John, does it though, Chapman. Some of John Cooper's comments, post game, yeah. it is yeah. a little. It is a little whiny, and I understand how how teams, and and more so fans, would be upset. Like like here here's the whole thing, Ryan. This team has won two Stanley Cups. Last yeah. year, well, there were a lot of people saying they get an asterisk. I'm not one of those people, right? Because what mm-hmm. they did with Kucherov was within the rules. But let's not sure. ignore that that they manipulated right. the salary cap to keep one of their best players. Basically on IR the entire season, they make the playoffs as the third team in their in their uh, division, and then all of a sudden Kucherov is perfectly fine. So I I I have a hard time with with the woe is me that mm-hmm. it seem that that seems to be the narrative coming out of Tampa because mm-hmm. I feel like. You won one in the bubble. A lot of people questioned the legitimacy of that. Again, I'm not one of them, but there certainly were people right. out there who did that. The the right. whole salary cap thing. People, again, questioned the legitimacy of it. Now what you're doing mm-hmm. is you're attempting to question the lit- legi- legitimacy of the Colorado Avalanches win, and, and I just don't like that narrative.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, like I said, we're going to get there. We're going to land the plane this week. On my unfiltered opinion of the Tampa Bay Lightning and really how they conducted themselves throughout the course of the Stanley Cup final. Those are your one timers. And a, an entire one timer segment devoted to the Tampa Bay Lightning injury report because, hey, they want you to know they were injured. One timers brought to you by Paul Powell. More lawyers, less fee. We're back to wrap it up next. It's catching up with Chapman. <laughs>
0: When the guy wouldn't stop talking, we had no choice but to give him his own segment. It's time for catching up with Chapman. You know, Ryan, it's funny because we—I know you did your Hall of Fame rant, and it's kind of crazy when you look at the the list of some of the guys that aren't in the Hall of Fame. And one guy that kind of pops out at me um, was was we we mentioned Pierre Turgeon earlier, and Mm -hmm. like his numbers. He's another guy, a total point a game guy, thirteen hundred and twenty seven points. Did it in thirteen hundred games, five hundred fifteen goals. Like, I, I I almost wonder if maybe they have a bias against Buffalo because he's another guy who was a Saber before he went and played with the Islanders. I know the bulk of his career was spent with the Islanders, yeah. but it kind of makes you wonder, is there is there a bit of a bias against the Buffalo Sabres? Because between McGillney and Terjean, neither of them are in the Hall of Fame, and both of them probably well-deserving Hall of Fame players. A guy who has 1,327 career points, over 500 goals, not in the Hall of Fame. And, and I kid about the Buffalo bias, but it kind of makes you wonder, right? Like, do they have something against the city of Buffalo or the Sabres organization when two of the best players the from, do. yeah like that's it what What did, what did they do to, to to the hockey hall of fame people because you know what it is it must be their proximity to toronto so maybe they don't maybe. Want, maybe they don't want the buffalo fans coming across and celebrating in toronto for a week
1: i think i'm that, not allowed to talk about the the proximity of buffalo to toronto put them
0: both I'm in the same to. weekend look we get vancouver weekend this year make it a <laughs> buffalo weekend next year
1: You're off tomorrow, aren't you?
0: I am, yeah. The wife's birthday.
1: Fantastic. Enjoy the day. We'll have Ashley Weiss joining us tomorrow, as well as Ben Goes from the Las Vegas Review Review Journal. Have a great night, everybody. We'll talk to you at 4 o'clock tomorrow.